Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38, and we're going to read down to verse 42. Let me just briefly pray for us, and then let's look together at God's word. Father in heaven, thank you for every single word you have breathed out. Thank you for those portions that are, uh, perhaps we may say, less uh, important for our everyday experiences. And we thank you for those portions of scripture like the one before us, which has much to say to us every day and every moment of the day. We pray, our God, that you would make us to hear the voice of your son. We pray that you would make us attentive. We pray that you would make us a people who understand, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We ask that you would reveal what you want us to know from this passage. We pray, our God, that you would change us, that you would cause your word to enter deep into our souls, that you would convict where conviction is needed, that you would correct where correction is needed, that you would encourage where encouragement is needed. We pray, Lord Jesus, that in all things you would give grace that we might be drawn to you and like Mary might sit at your feet and listen to your word and be strengthened and healed by you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Luke 10, beginning in verse 38, and now Luke is uh, bringing this section on ministry and service to a close, and he says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching, but Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? That my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. When I was a fairly young Christian, my dad sat me down one day and he said, you know, Nick, uh, in our day, it's true, you'll hear many voices and, and most of them are coming from people in the church who will tell you what we need to do is we need to shut the Bible and we need to get doing. Uh, I've thought about that many times over the years. I think there is an exponential sense in which we feel that in our day. There are many people who are constantly talking about social activism, activism in the church, activism in the world, social justice, doing this. We need to do more. We need to be more active. We need to serve more in the church. Now, you hear me tell you we need to be serving in the church. And the Bible certainly tells us that we need to be active. The Bible says we need to be diligent. The Bible says don't grow weary in well-doing. The Bible says your labor is not in vain in the Lord, so be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And it is true that there are many Christians who are just plain lazy. You know, as I wrestled with this passage coming to it this morning, I thought the better part of believers in America in our day desperately need to hear this But there are just some that just need to hear about Martha serving. Because there are just some lazy Christians that don't want to do anything. And yet, I think what my dad told me so long ago was true, that um, many people are saying, shut the Bible, get doing. Shut the Bible, do more. 
Don't just sit around and study doctrine. Don't just sit there. You know, people complain about churches. They'll say, I don't want to go to a church where it's spectator sport, where I just sit there. And you're going to see this morning that what God is going to say is the most important thing is that you just sit there and you listen and you learn from the Lord Jesus and that any real and fruitful service that will flow out from your life from a heart that has been properly aligned and is spiritually healthy is service that is fueled, that has as its priority sitting and listening to Jesus Christ, which is the foundation of all properly motivated and beneficial service in the kingdom of God. So any real, beneficial, properly motivated service in God's kingdom is fueled by sitting and listening to the Lord Jesus Christ, having this sort of repose that the Bible captures in a passage like this as sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, you all know this passage so well, I imagine. Um, Before I do look at uh, Martha's service, Mary's sitting in Jesus' instruction this morning, I want to read something that Charles Spurgeon said, because I think this is so true, and I, I think the tension in life that we all seem to have is is captured by what Spurgeon says. He says, It is not an easy thing to maintain the balance of our spiritual life. No one can be spiritually healthy who does not meditate and commune. And no one, on the other hand, is as he should be unless he is active and diligent in holy service. We must not be so active as to neglect communion or so contemplative as to become unpractical. I think Spurgeon kind of nails the essence of this. Now, what's interesting about this passage is where it is in Luke's gospel. Uh, It doesn't seem to be chronologically happening in the exact same place as the account of the Good Samaritan. Remember, that was the last thing we looked at. That self-righteous lawyer came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to get to heaven? And Jesus entertaining him on his own self-righteous question, thinking that, that you do something to gain life, gives him the account of something that is undoable. Don't miss that. You are not the Good Samaritan. You will never be the Good Samaritan. You have not been, and that's why you need Jesus. That is the point Of the parable. And yet Jesus says at the end of that account, go and do likewise. Now that follows hard on the heels of Jesus sending the disciples out to do ministry. He has given them that great commission at the beginning of the chapter. He has sent them without money. He said, go out to the villages, preach, teach, spread the word, heal, do all these things, show them that the kingdom's coming, I'm coming, the king is here, now go and minister, now go and do. And I think it's fascinating that at the end of a chapter in which ministry and service and and doing acts of mercy are so highlighted by the Lord Jesus that we have an account like Martha and Mary in the house of Martha as she is cumbered with serving and Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, notice that uh, Martha's service is never criticized. 
I want to highlight that at the outset. Notice that uh, Luke tells us that a woman named Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. Notice there in verse 38, a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Jesus has already told us that he had nowhere to lay his head. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He was homeless. Uh, He said, animals have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And here is a woman who is deeply devoted to Christ. Here's a woman that Christ is deeply devoted to. The Apostle John will tell us Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and their brother Lazarus. And here's a woman that often opened her home to Jesus. There are several accounts in the Gospels where uh, Jesus is finding uh, a time of rest under the hospitality of Martha. Martha seems to be the homeowner. We don't know whether she was a widow. We don't know whether she was just a uh, a fairly well-off single woman living together with her sister and brother. But what we do know is that Martha had a heart of hospitality. Um, In that sense, Martha is an example. You know, uh, one of the greatest ways that the kingdom of God advances is through hospitality. Rosaria Butterfield just wrote her book, uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Um, And she says, what is missing in so many of our churches, why so many of our churches are not growing with real and true converts, is because most of the members of our churches are not exercising hospitality for the sake of mission. Um, We've noted before many times in this church that Uh, One of the things you see as you read the Gospels, one of the cameos, is that uh, Jesus is doing the bulk of his ministry around a meal with people who have invited him into their homes. Here, Martha has invited Jesus into her home. That's to be commended. She, She wants to serve the Savior. She wants to show love to him. She wants to prepare this magnificent feast for him. She wants... To go out of her way, she wants to spend her money, she wants to open her home, she wants to be, uh, she wants to be uh, put out, as it were, in hospitality. She's willing to do that, she's ready to do that, she does it often, and nowhere does Jesus criticize her for that. In fact, I think she's to be commended, but Martha is serving at this point for service sake, not for the sake of the Savior. There's a shift that happens. Um, We feel this, don't we? Those of you who are married, uh, you plan to have people over and you're getting ready and you're in the kitchen and things seem to be going okay. And then it's like zero to 60. It's like 40 degrees and everything's melting down. And people are frustrated and bickering and just get out of here and I can't do this. Ah! And if you've never experienced that, it's probably because you're not hospitable. I'm sorry if that sounds mean. If you don't experience that, it's probably because you're not opening your home to people. But, but all of us who, who have done that know that's a common experience. And, and Martha has shifted in her focus. Martha is now serving for service sake. And actually, more than that, Martha is serving for her sake. She is now thinking about herself and what she's doing and how she's doing it and what she needs and who should be helping her and why it's not getting done well enough and quick enough and what others should be doing to help her. Isn't that interesting how quickly our eyes can go off of the Lord Jesus and onto self in an act that was meant to be devotion to Christ? 
Um, That happens in the church. That happens in the home. We want to do this out of love for Christ. And then somehow we start getting frustrated and bitter and bickering and angry and mad at others and judgmental toward others because they're not doing what I'm doing and they're not serving the way I'm. I have known this my whole Christian life. And if you're a Christian, you have known this. If you're not a Christian, you're not trying to serve anyone but yourself ever. But our focus can go off of Jesus so quickly like Martha's. And notice what Martha says. Notice verse 40. Martha was distracted with much serving and she went to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. At some point, Martha, and and I don't know how their houses were constituted back then, but I assume they were more open spaces. And and Martha's over there getting ready. She's making some uh, fig syrup dessert. And she looks out and she sees Mary sitting there and she's stressed out and she's trying to juggle six things. And and, Mary's just sitting over there listening to Jesus preach. She should be doing more. She should shut the Bible and get doing. And her frustration is with her sister. And she begins to judge her sister. There um, There is a word here. Um, those of us who fall into the Martha syndrome, serving in the church, oftentimes become uh, self-righteously judgmental of believers who are more spiritual than us, who learn deep devotion to Christ and don't seem flustered and are content to pull away and spend time with the Lord. And um, I'm not talking about lazy Christians that don't want to serve. I'm talking about spiritual Christians that know when and how to serve. And, and then we become envious of them, and then we become bitter toward them. That's what's happening in Martha's heart. Isn't it fascinating how the Bible so perfectly tells us what's going on inside? I, I was thinking about that as I read this passage this time anew, and I've preached through this many times. I, I was struck by the fact that Luke tends to highlight this more than anybody else He'll he'll talk about Jesus knowing their thoughts, or the Holy Spirit will tell us what's going on inside someone's heart. Uh, The word that Luke uses for distracted is pulled every which way, frustratingly pulled. And and Martha's just being pulled constantly. Um, She's in this frenetic moment of service. And she's judging her sister, And she is despising her sister. And she's making her standard a standard her sister should be meeting. It's not Jesus' standard. Uh, Jesus never told Martha to open her home. Jesus never said he needed a nice meal. In fact, Jesus often said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Uh, He was content just teaching. He had entered the home and he had started preaching a sermon. Everything he was doing was instruction. Everywhere he was going, he was teaching. I think that's striking. Jesus enters into the home and, and he's teaching the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And, and Mary is enamored with that. And, and Martha is consumed with her own standard. I want to say this this morning. Nothing, nothing ruins Christian service so much 
and Christian relationships so much as the standards that we produce and hold others to. I want that to just sink in. I've often thought about writing a book called um, Subjective Expectations and How They Ruin Everything. Everything. 90% of your angst and bitterness and my angst and bitterness toward others is because we have sinful expectations we have created and then we have held others to. That's what's going on in this passage. Notice Martha goes up to Jesus and notice the language. Do you not care that my sister has left me? My sister has left me to serve alone. My sister, her bitterness on the surface seems to be with Mary. And then notice the next thing, tell her to help me. So she needs to be helping me. She needs to be doing what I want. She needs to get in here and get serving. Now, if, if, Martha's real issue was with Mary, you would expect, wouldn't you, that she would go to Mary, right? You're in the kitchen, guests are out there, you're stressed out, your spouse is in the other room, it's usually me, your spouse is in the other room, not, not carrying the load, not helping to make anything, and then you're getting stressed out, and, and you go, hey, can I talk to you for a second? Maybe a little more polite than that. They come in and you're like, I need you to help. Bah, 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 bah. You know you've done this. You know you've done this. Um, but Martha doesn't do that. She doesn't go to Mary. She goes to Jesus. And she stands over the Lord. Now this is very fascinating. Here we've gone from Martha welcoming Jesus into her home, wanting to do something loving, for her Savior. She does love the Savior. He is her Lord. She is his, his own precious disciple. She is loved by him. She wants to show affection to the Lord Jesus. She wants to make him the best meal. And, and zero to 60, she's standing over him. And she says, Lord, notice the first words. Notice verse uh, 40. Lord, do you not care? Now, we've heard that word before from the disciples. Remember when they were in the boat and the winds and the waves were crashing down and Jesus was asleep in the boat and the disciples, they come and they wake Jesus and in Mark's gospel, they say to him, Lord, do you not care? Do you not care that we're perishing? Here Martha comes and she says, Lord, do you not care? So her real problem is not with Mary Her real problem now is with the Lord Jesus. Now, this is fascinating, and I don't want you to miss this. We are so subtle in our sinfulness that we can take those expectations that we have created, things God has not commanded us. We can then bind others to them. We can get bitter at others when they don't meet them. We can then go slander them to our friends because we think that they should be meeting our expectations. But what's really going on in our hearts is that we're mad at Christ. And we think he should be making them do what we think is the most important thing. 
a number of years ago, I had a friend and I had an issue uh, that I was dealing with pastorally and I said to my friend, I was very frustrated and I said to my friend, you know, this is what's going on and I can't believe this person's doing this and blah, 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 blah. And he stopped me and he said to me, you know, it sounds to me like you're taking it like a personal insult when you should really be concerned with that person's spiritual condition before the Lord and the problem that that person really has is a problem with their heart before God. And it was like somebody hit me in the face with a bag of bricks. Um, Martha is taking all this personally. Mary should be serving with me. Lord, why don't you do this? And then she goes so far as to tell Jesus. And this is remarkable. She tells Jesus what he should be doing. Wow. I mean, this is God. This is the God that gives you and me life and breath and all things. This is the God who spoke the worlds into existence. This is the infinite, eternal Son of God. This is the God who calls the stars by name so that not one of them is missing. This is the God who fills the heavens and the earth, and he's sitting in Martha's living room, and she stands over him, and she judges him, and then she commands him, Lord, tell my sister to help me. Um. We are not all that different from Martha so often. Um, there's times when God is kind enough to let us catch what we're like so that we can confess our sin is a very kind thing. Uh, it's scary to see what our hearts are actually like. It's a frightening thing to think what we're actually like. Martha here has lost complete sight of who Jesus is. She has judged the Savior. She has judged her sister. She is in the worst possible spiritual condition, and all in trying to serve the Lord Jesus. Think about that. None of her intentions were to hurt anyone. Lots of people in the church have hurt other people in the church with good intentions on the front end of whatever it was they were doing. Um, That's... That transition happens very quickly. We'll notice that um, Martha thinks Jesus isn't doing anything about it. David Gooding, one writer, said, The trouble was that Christ was doing nothing about it. Indeed, he seemed to Martha to be encouraging Mary in her wrong behavior. Think about that. She's judging Jesus for encouraging Mary because Jesus is preaching. Mary is there. Martha's serving. And, and inside her heart, Martha now thinks, well, Jesus is culpable because he's encouraging her to just sit there and do nothing. Gooding said he's encouraging Mary in her wrong behavior by letting her sit there and talk to her. That very fact one might have thought ought to have made Martha begin to suspect that her own ideas must be wrong somewhere. You got to listen very carefully. The second she thought that, she should have thought, I'm in a bad place. But she didn't. Instead of questioning her own list of necessities and priorities, she went up to Christ and suggested that he was being irresponsible in encouraging Mary to act so unfairly. Martha was wrong, of course, and it was a sad and ironic thing that her love and devotion to the Lord had led her through a wrong sense of necessities and priorities to a point where she questioned the fairness of the very one whom she felt obliged to serve so rigorously. 
Well, of course, uh, Martha's frustration, her anxiety, her angst in serving, her disquieted spirit, her judgmental attitude, her now very unworshipful spirit is contrasted with Mary's repose and calm and earnestness to listen to the Lord. Notice that the very first thing that we were told uh, after we were told that Martha welcomed Jesus into her house, verse 39, we were told that she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Um, Mary's heart was right. She knew what was most important. She knew why Jesus had been invited over. She could have easily thought to herself, well, I really want to be with Jesus, but we invited him over, and so I'm going to go help, and I'm going to help my sister. She could have done that, but she weighed the importance. Here, the Son of God is in their home, and Mary recognizes the enormous privilege of sitting under the ministry of the Son of God, and she is drawn like a magnet to the Lord Jesus. And she knows that the only place to be is at his feet, as his disciple, listening to him. Um, you know, it's interesting. Remember, not that long ago, we looked at the account of the transfiguration and uh, up there on the mountain, Peter, James, John, Moses, and Elijah come. Jesus' face shines like the sun. Peter wants to make three tabernacles, not knowing what he said. And then the glory cloud comes, and the voice of the Father comes out of the cloud, and he says, this is my beloved son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And, and it's almost like Luke is picking up on that and saying, here's what it looks like. Here's what it looks like in the church. Here's what it looks like in the home. Here's what it looks like for you personally. It looks like wherever Jesus is teaching and preaching, wherever he has called you to gather and sit and listen, the right thing to do is to sit and listen. When Jesus's word is being taught and read and proclaimed, sit and listen. That's the thing to do. Um, this is really cool illustration, an old uh, Lutheran writer named Lenski said, by her attentive hearing, Mary helped to make the seat of Jesus a pulpit, her own humble place at his feet a pew, and the whole room a chapel in which the mercy of Jehovah was proclaimed, a very sanctuary where God himself drew near to the sinful heart with grace. Isn't that beautiful? His seat was a pulpit, the floor was the pew, the whole room was a chapel, and God's grace was being proclaimed to Mary's sinful heart. Now, there are a thousand applications that we could make about Mary sitting. Um, I want to say this to you this morning as directly as I can. There is nothing that you need more, nothing, than to sit at the feet of Jesus and to listen to what he is saying as his word is read and preached and sung and confessed and prayed in worship. Nothing. Well, you don't know about, I don't care. The Bible says there is nothing more important than that. Well, you don't know what, nothing. 
There's nothing more important than that. Contrary to the sort of shut the Bible, get doing mentality, um, this morning God is saying, open the Bible, sit, pour over it in your home, family worship, private devotions. God's word is the most necessary thing. The revelation of Jesus Christ crucified and risen is the only thing that makes our hearts right. It's the only thing that will animate our service. It's the only thing that will help us serve with joy. It's the only thing that will keep us from judging others and slandering others and holding others to our own self-made standards. It's the only thing that will help us. You know, here shortly we're going to hopefully elect some great men to be deacons in this church. And the office of the diaconate is an office of service. It is, a, it is an authoritative office, and yet it is specifically an office of service. Um, and the word diakonia means servant. And we, as a congregation, are longing to have men serve us in ways that free up the elders to minister the word and shepherd the people spiritually as God has called us to do. And, and to encourage the gifts of service among the members and to think about the special needs of service in the church and all of those things that, that they are going to be called by God to do and that many of them are already doing and that many of you are doing. And yet the last thing that we want in calling deacons is a bunch of angry, judgmental, mean-spirited, hypersensitive, All these guys are like, I know. (laughs) Men who are going to guild a bunch of people into service. It's the last thing we want. It will be the, the most unhelpful thing to a congregation. We want men that are going to be sitting at the feet of Jesus, filling their souls with his word, abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ, sitting at the foot of the cross, listening to the Savior on a daily basis, committed to the ministry of his word in worship, especially on the Lord's day, and then serving and encouraging that service out of a heart that is animated, out of a love for the Lord Jesus and a desire to see his people cared for. And we learn that Again, no one is going to serve properly. No one is going to be properly motivated and no one is going to beneficially serve others in the kingdom of God unless they are sitting and listening to the word of God as it centers on Jesus Christ as the priority to and foundation of that service. Uh, You know, it's very interesting when the early church began to grow in the book of Acts, uh, Peter had preached at Pentecost, 3,000 people had been converted and and. Uh, there was that debate that brewed in Acts chapter 6. Some of the widows uh, were not getting the same distribution. There was a discrimination going on. The Jewish-speaking widows were getting more of the handouts, maybe getting them earlier than the the Greek-speaking Jewish widows. And there was a division in the church, and the disciples came in, and they didn't say, we'll take care of this. They appointed deacons. And the very next thing that it says in Acts chapter 6, is the word of God multiplied. So the service that happened was rendered so that the ministry of the word would continue 
so that more and more people would sit at the feet of Jesus. After that fledgling church had grown uh, under the preaching of Peter at Pentecost, it said that the disciples gathered together daily to sit under the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, and prayer. They were sitting at the feet of Jesus constantly. Um, We can convince ourselves that You know, I I listened to too many sermons. I actually had a very interesting experience years ago. I I helped out with a church that uh, was looking for a pastor, and uh, one of the members of the search committee of that church said this, and I'll never forget this. She said, you know, we've had plenty of good teaching throughout our time here. We need to be a church that does more. Um, That church doesn't exist today. In part, I wonder if it's because uh, people in that church were tired of listening to God's word. They thought, we've had plenty of good teaching. Listen, until you're in heaven, you have not had enough good teaching and preaching. You have not listened to Jesus enough. Until you are at the feet of Jesus in glory... You do not ever exhaust your need to listen to the Lord Jesus. Now, I love that we can go to the Bible and we can read passages we've read a thousand times and suddenly see something I've never seen. That's one of the most beautiful things God does for us. We we think we know it. We go, we read it, and we're like, how did I never see that before? You will never exhaust your need to sit at the feet of Jesus, to be in the word of God, to have your soul strengthened like Mary, who knew that that was the most important place to be. Now, finally, very quickly, Jesus' instruction. You know, this is one of those things, piggybacking on what I just said to you, that I had never noticed before. Martha was cumbered with serving. Mary was sitting and listening. Martha is judging Jesus, judging her sister, anxious, distracted in her service. Mary is calmly reposed in the very place where she needs to be. Martha's problem is that she's not listening to the Lord Jesus. She's listening to herself and her own desires, her own expectations, her own interest. And what does Jesus do to heal her? He instructs her with his word. I think that's fascinating. I think that's a fascinating little detail. The thing that Martha needs in her moment of soul anxiety is the very thing she has been rejecting. And so Jesus comes to her gently, and he deals with her as a loving Savior. And he says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. You're anxious about many things. As you think about your life, think about your agendas, your goals, what you're thinking through throughout the day as you're on the go, running around. You know, I thought in the South, when I was 12 when we moved to St. Simon's Island, and I had never stepped in an ant bed in the South. And (laughs) nobody had told me about these special ants they had in the South. And, uh, oh, man, they move quick. 
They know how to, they know how to get up the leg quick. They know how to bite fast. I remember the first time I got bit by some fire ants. That, that, that makes you look for these ant beds the rest of your life down here. Um, I was thinking this week, you know, we're like, the, we're like fire ants. It's actually a pretty apt illustration. We're, we're moving super quick all the time. Got to get to this. Got to do this. We're all, we're all like that. And, um, and Martha is like that. And Jesus says, look, you're anxious and you're worried about many things. You're torn in every direction over everything that you think matters. And Jesus says, but one thing is necessary. There's only one thing that's necessary. He's not saying you don't have to go to work tomorrow. The Bible says that you've got to work. He's not saying husbands don't need to provide for their wives. There's, a, there's actually about 150 things that he tells us to do in the book of Luke. Um, but there is only one thing that is absolutely and truly and supremely necessary, and that is you listening to the Lord Jesus, trusting in him by faith, living in communion with him, abiding in him, following him until you are with him in glory. That's it. Um, Thinking I have to come up with the next way to make money in order to do this is not important. And we convince ourselves it is. And Jesus says, listen, you're worried and distracted about many things. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. Now he does that play on words. Jesus uh, recognizes that Martha's getting the portions ready. And, and he basically says, look, I'm the food. I'm the feast. I'm the Passover lamb. This is the same Jesus that says, whoever feeds on me will live because of me. Um, what he's saying, I think, is eternal life is at stake. And what's really matter, what really matters is that you have eternal life. Um, Samuel Davies was a, they called him the Apostle of Virginia. He was uh, one of the presidents of what is now Princeton um, University back in the 1800s. And Davies um, lost his wife and their unborn child when he was in his 20s. She died suddenly, and in his biography, there was a note about him saying, there's only one thing left for me to do, and that is to give myself fully to the gospel ministry and to telling others about Jesus Christ and to give myself fully to this work. He had a sermon on this passage, and Davies in that sermon says, you know, you may have another couple years. You may have a couple months. You may only have a day. Um, we had a, a friend of mine visit us this last year. He was the dean of uh, admissions at Reformed Theological Seminary and uh, was 53 years old, 54 years old, died of a heart attack in a car wreck two weeks ago. You don't know. When I hear people say, you know, my plan is to live to 70, I think, what a fool. What a fool. You don't know. Who knows what a day may bring? You, Davies says you may have... A few years, you may have 
a few months, you may have a few days. And he says, time is the space for repentance. Time is the space for repentance. Time is the space for you and I to learn to sit at the feet of Jesus. Because Jesus says that will never be taken away from you because he'll never be taken from you. I love the illustration here of sitting at the feet. That's language that's often used about the Lord Jesus um, once someone is converted in the Gospels. The, the Gadarene demoniac who he heals, they find him sitting at the feet of Jesus. Here, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And many, many years ago, I thought, my, what a, what a beautiful picture. It would be those feet that would be nailed to the tree for the sins of Mary and the sins of Martha and your sins and my sins. It would be those feet that would be nailed to the tree. And, and God now says, come and by faith sit at the foot of the cross. Sit at the feet of Jesus. See what he endures for you. See what he did for you. See what he continually does for you now that he is risen and reigning, sitting on the throne of God. He is seated. He is Lord over all. There is nothing outside his control. He is the God that gives a continual supply of grace. He says, come to me, learn of me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you. I will give you rest. I hope that the Lord will take this word and will press it in us, that all of us will go to the Lord Jesus And that we'll be a people that learn to love sitting in worship. You know, we're going to be back here tonight in the Word again. Um, Maybe you've never come. I'm not thinking about anybody in specific. I got my eyes shut. I'm not looking at anybody. Come back and sit at the feet of Jesus. That's what it means. Yes, that's what it means. Love to be under the ministry of the Word of God. Read it in your homes. Meditate on it. Teach it to your children. Pray it with your spouses. Spread it to people that you know. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we are often exactly like Martha. We allow ourselves to be torn in every direction. We allow ourselves to be anxious and frustrated We take on ourselves things that you have not called us to do. We sinfully have judged others according to our own expectations. We have many times taken our eyes off of the Lord Jesus. Father in heaven, would you please realign the eyes of our hearts this morning? Would you give us grace that we would be a people that sit and linger long at the feet of the Savior listening to his word? Lord Jesus, would you please Help us to sit as we come to the table. We pray that you would feed us, that you would remind us of that one thing necessary. We pray these things in your name. Amen.